This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. The Washington Post and Newsweek magazine both had a story this week that when I read it, uh, I was shocked. I truly was caught off guard by this. I could not believe that it could be true. However, they are reputable sources. And when you look at the numbers and you look at the story, it apparently was It is a poll that has been done of people in the States, millennials in the States, younger people in the States, about what happened in World War II. Two-thirds of American millennials, according to this poll, have not heard of and don't know what Auschwitz is. 31%, according to this poll, of millennial Americans say there weren't 6 million Jews killed in the Holocaust. And perhaps most shockingly to me, 22% of the people in this poll, 22% of American millennials hadn't even heard of the Holocaust. I don't even understand how that's possible. What is going on? Well, with tomorrow being Israeli Independence Day, it seemed like a good time to find out. Gustavo Reinberg is the CEO of the Hamilton Jewish Federation. He joins me now. Uh, Gustavo, thanks for doing this tonight. Hi, thank you for calling me. Thank you very much. When you hear these numbers, when you see this story and you see the numbers from this poll, do those numbers surprise you? They must, right? Yes, absolutely. Especially because, you know, I know how much we're... First of all, these numbers are American numbers. Of course. But but I'm, you know, I know how much we are doing to educate our youth in Canada about Holocaust, okay? There is a lot of... Uh, initiatives and uh, education programs so it's really shocking okay um unfortunate but it's it's shocking and it's a reality that maybe we have to face it's a well something is something is lacking in an education system in 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 north america but we have to make sure that this is not uh, happened for a long long time gustavo how similar do you think these now you're right these are american numbers it's in the american system but how similar would these numbers be do you think if this was if this poll was done in canada similar or very different i i would like to hope and i believe that they're going to be very different you know it's a it's really uh, it, it's really impressive how many programs we have uh, to educate people about the Holocaust. Also in Hamilton, you know, like every year, I don't know if you know what, for the past 20 years, the Hamilton Jewish Federation is organizing a symposium about Holocaust for uh, high school students, and an average of 1,000 students attend this symposium uh, only in Hamilton. So uh, things like this happening all over Canada and I, I, I really like to believe that the numbers are going to be much better in Canada. Okay, so and let's let's assume that's the case. But and let's go back to the states then for this. How yes. is it possible that this information is not known? Because here's the thing: it, it's not like it's a secret. It's not like somehow popular culture or Hollywood or TV mm-hmm. or books have ignored this. It, it's it's everywhere, and I, I just don't understand how this could not even be familiar to people. Yeah, it's a, listen, you have a good point. Uh, I think that it's all about um, education, uh, number one. But the education, I, I always believe that education is not happening only at school. You know, it's happening. It's happening also at home. So it's a topic that it's very difficult to afford sometimes. 
is a topic that parents, they don't have the right answers. Uh, and also, there's a lot of families that they were dealing with Holocaust survivors, and for them, it's very hard to talk about that. So that's another another problem. So I think that it's a, it's a question of like self-education and create self-interest in reading and learning about the Holocaust. It's not something that we have to uh, delegate only to the schools. But as families, we should talk about this at home because it's not only that we are talking about Holocaust. It's like we're talking about making sure that something like this is not happening again. But some people wouldn't want, I guess, to talk about it at home because it's not a pleasant topic. Nobody thinks this is a pleasant topic. And so it's not easy to talk about and to tell your young kids Mm -hmm. about people being gassed and people being exterminated is not a fun dinner time conversation. No, exactly. But I think that it's like that's where maybe you can reach experts. You know, you can go to talk to survivors. You can talk to Holocaust education centers all over North America and take your kids with you. You know, maybe you can learn from there. There's a lot of books about uh, uh, the Holocaust, like for kids, for youth, I mean, and they, they, they can talk about the topic from a different perspective. You know, the Holocaust is not only uh, how the people was killed or exterminated. It's also about, uh, it's about bullying, it's about hate, it's about uh, discrimination. Okay, there are topics that everyone should talk about. It's not, don't, I, I think that it's, it's a mistake to afford the Holocaust issue only as uh, dead people. It's, it, it, it's terrible. They, they killed six million people and more, but it's all the stuff that happened before that is the, one, the things that we have to talk about and prevent. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. There is a poll out that essentially says that a generation of Americans, it was a poll done in the States, but a generation of Americans are having a huge gap in their knowledge, in their understanding, in their awareness of something called the Holocaust. 22%, according to this poll, of young Americans have never heard of the Holocaust. Of all the numbers in this thing, and 70% of Americans believe people care less about the Holocaust than they used to. 58% say something like this could happen again. But 22% not even having heard of the Holocaust is a number that just blows me away. Chatting with Gustavo Reinberg, who is the CEO of the Hamilton Jewish Federation. Gustavo, it's you. I would expect that you are not anticipating that every single person is going to know every single small detail about World War II and about what happened in the Holocaust, correct? Correct. I mean, we cannot expect that for anything, but I think that it's important, you know, that now now that we have these statistics, I think that it's important to, you know, to reflect about this. And I, it's an important topic, but it's not only about World War II, it's about, like, uh, again, like I mentioned before, you know, like, avoid hate, discrimination, uh, bullying, that, that's, that's part of the Holocaust, okay? And that's a very important part of that. There are, modern, that there are modern applications for this, is what you're saying. Sorry? There are modern applications for this. It's not just about what happened back then. There are things today that we can learn from this. Well, we can learn from that, and we can uh, absolutely learn for, for that and, and share what we know about that. 
you know, I, I think it's like you mentioned before, you know, it's a, it's a very different topic to talk at home. It's not a pleasant one, but it's an important one. And I think that we should uh, we should find a way to to communicate. When I when I see the numbers, I say, okay, so let's see the positive thing about this. Okay, this is a great opportunity for us to do more about that, or to educate more about that, or or, or to to offer different things, maybe that will create more interest in people. Like right now in Hamilton, we are running an exhibit. It's called Witness. And it's uh, it's going to be on display until May 11 about uh, exactly about the Holocaust and the third generation, how the youth is going to learn and um, transfer what they know about the Holocaust without survivors alive. So it's something that it's free. It's for everyone to go and to attend. It's on display at the city hall and small things like that. It's something that I would recommend for everyone to go and read and learn. It's interesting, though, that you talk that, that the show, the, the exhibit is called Witness, because I was wondering that. what We are reaching a point reasonably soon mm-hmm. when there are going to be no more survivors. Very soon, unfortunately. Yeah. And what happens then? Because if you have eyewitnesses are a powerful, powerful tool. Someone can deny this happened, but if someone was there and can show the tattoo on their arm and can talk about those things, it's mm-hmm. really hard to argue the point with them. But yeah. when they're gone, what happens? When they're gone, I mean, that's what we're trying to 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 do a, a, to promote. You know, it's like, for example, one of the things: every time that someone is going to the Holocaust Museum, or everyone who visits a concentration camp, or when you go to March of the Living, a program that takes thousands of thousands of kids to Poland and Israel, uh, those people are going to be our next witnesses. Those are the people that who where they are in a different capacity, like like witnesses of seeing stuff, and they have to tell the story. But that's the best thing that we can do. And always educate and always remember when we have to remember. And, you know, pass, pass the knowledge. And again, it's a different topic. It's a very, very unpleasant sometimes but it's something that we have to talk about. Gustavo, though, if we look at these poll numbers and we see that a generation is becoming less aware, and you know how these things generally work, one generation that has become less aware will pass on less information to their next, their, their kids, and then so on. Mm-hmm. Is there a chance that in 20, 30, 50 years that the majority of people in North America will be unaware of this? I hope not, but it's like, it's, our obligation, you know, not only as Jewish people, but it's everyone's obligation, I think, to to remember these kind of things for never happen again. I will, I would like to believe that this um, this survey uh, it's something that we should consider, but at the same time, it's a very small sample of people. I think that they were like 1,350 uh, participants. So it's important, it's relevant, it's something to consider, something to pay attention. But I think that we, ha- we should focus in continue doing what we are doing better and better and better and, and in, uh, as much as we can. And to involve people from different spectrums of our life to learn and participate in Holocaust memorials, in, in exhibits, in, in, in attending new books presentations. It's something that it's, it's, it's not difficult to do. It's all about 
if you are really interested in, in doing. I mean, we'll promote it, we'll invite people to talk, but at the end it's up to the people to 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 want to learn, you know? It's like uh, we have to educate as much as, as we can everywhere. Gustavo Reinberger, the CEO of the Hamilton yeah. Jewish Federation, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. I would, uh, as we go here to the break, go watch Schindler's List if you haven't. Or on Netflix right now, I think it's still there, there is an eight-part BBC series called Auschwitz. It takes a bit of a hard iron stomach. It is a difficult thing to watch, but man, is it interesting and educational and fascinating and all those other things. It's worth a look. It's if Clearly, we need to be reminded and make sure that we remember this stuff. This, this, this poll just to me just blew my mind. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Some time ago, I was on YouTube, wasting time, and stumbled on a video of a guy who was flying first class from, I think, Abu Dhabi to London or something like that, on Etihad, which I didn't know much about Etihad. It is the world's most luxurious airline. A one-way ticket for that trip was something like $30,000 in a private apartment eating caviar and champagne and all the rest. Anyway, suddenly I found myself going down a rabbit hole watching videos of all kinds of these first-class things that are now on planes. First class is way different than it used to be. If you've got the cash, you can travel in style these days. Here's the thing, though. Because if you've flown recently, you know that unless you're willing to fork out those big bucks, you are not getting those seats, you are not eating caviar, you're not drinking champagne, you are getting economy, you are getting cattle car class, tight spaces, little leg room, not first class, world class dining. And hang on, because if you think that was sometimes difficult, well, just wait, because flying may be about to get even more Spartan. Several airlines are reportedly considering buying and installing the handiwork of Italian company Avio Interiors. And what do they do? They make standing seats. That's right, standing seats. It's basically an upright seat that's 23 inches wide, feels like one of those standing rides at Canada's Wonderland. That's how you would take the entirety of your trip. Is this the future of airline travel? Do we want this to be the future of airline travel? Brett Snyder is the guy behind the Cranky Flyer blog online. It's a great online website for all things to do with the airline industry. He joins us now. Brett, thanks for doing this tonight. Sure. Happy to be back here. Uh, People seem willing to put up with all kinds of stuff on planes to save a few dollars here and there. Is this the breaking point, or are people going to be happy to save even a few more bucks and stand basically the whole way they go somewhere? Well, I, you know, I think first we have to actually see if this gets on an airplane. <laughs> sure. You know, they've been trying to do this for a few years, actually, uh, and it, they didn't get it approved for safety reasons, and, you know, they're back again with version 2 now. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if it ever happens. But if we assume it does, yeah, people will do this. They, they will be glad to save some money if this is what they do. Now, probably not on the Abu Dhabi to London flight, right? Something shorter. Uh, but think how often people sit on a bus or a subway on their commute to work. I mean, if you're talking about an hour or two on an airplane and it can save you enough money so you can stay in a better hotel uh, when you get to your destination, I think people probably would do it. And you know what? For the hour flight or the 45-minute flight, uh, yes, uh, I think you're probably right. 
then I saw the picture of this proposed seating arrangement. And as I said, normally I think, and you can correct me here because you would know this better. I think the average seat on an airplane right now is 28 inches, give or take. And this is going to be 23 inches. And when you understand, and you do, because uh, you fly a lot, what the average American or Canadian is built like today, I don't even know how you survive an hour landing on each other's lap for the whole way. Well, so the average is probably closer to about 30, but, but that's actually a pretty bad measure uh, because what that's measuring is from one point on a seat to the same point on the seat in front or behind. So it's not actually measuring legroom because um, if you have a really thick seat, then that cuts into the legroom, but it doesn't change the, the amount of room you have uh, as a passenger. So, um, so anyway, though, the idea behind this is that you don't need that kind of legroom. I mean, it, I'll admit, you look at this, it, it looks pretty awful uh, <laughs> at first glance. Uh, but the point is that you're going to sit higher, and so you don't need your legs to stretch out as much because they'll go down more, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, you know, well, I think that's the, that's the point of the seat in the first place is saying, well, you're not really sitting, you're sort of crouching. Uh, and it's hard to know. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, until you can actually sit in it, you won't really know how comfortable it might be. But you could also argue, you know, how comfortable is it standing on a subway at rush hour uh, or on a crowded bus or something? Uh, you know, people sit on buses for an hour uh, or more sometimes, depending where you live. I'm in Southern California. People sit on it for days. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's... It's all about the trade-off between how much money you want to spend and, and how comfortable you want to be. Yeah, the company uh, describes this as putting you in the position of sitting on a saddle on a horse. So essentially, you're going to be riding a you're going to be a cowboy for the time you're on there riding a. And, and you know maybe here, here's the other thing: Avio Interiors, and this is called the Skyrider 2.0. Skyrider 2.0 is the name of the seat. And here's their quote, it ensures an increased upright passenger position, allowing installation of the seat at a reduced pitch while maintaining an adequate comfort. And I was kind of okay with it until I got to the line. Even the company is only describing the comfort level as adequate, (laughs) which is not exactly a ringing endorsement of what you're going to be dealing with. Well, that that is certainly true, and I, I love they do say something about how cowboys are comfortable in saddles all day long or uh-huh. something like that. Uh, which, yeah, maybe a cowboy is, but you put someone on a horse for the first time, they're not too comfy after <laughs> no. a little bit of time in a saddle. No, and you look uh, at these pictures, and and I I was pointing this to someone in our office today. Uh, there is a well, there is a hump where the front is. And if you're a guy and you were to slide forward by an inch or two, uh, you're going to get off of there and your nuggets are going to be applesauce. I'm just saying. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Brett Snyder, who is the man behind the Cranky Flyer blog about the airline industry, about flying, about all these things. We're talking about this proposed standing seats. That's what they're calling them. Standing seats that could potentially be put on airlines that would... Well, you would think, you'd like to believe, save money for the flyer. But, Brett, the, the interesting thing, too, when I was reading this is they say, if we put these in place, this could increase the capacity on flights by 20%. I don't know if that means that the flyers would save 20%. I mean, is this, is this seen as a cost saver for, really, for the passengers or for the airlines? Well, it would have to be both, for sure. 
but, you know, the, the real issue here is if you have 20, 20% more people on the airplane, it still has to pass all the evacuation test requirements to make sure people can get off. So, you know, that might be one of the, the big hurdles here is, uh, sure, you could pack 500 people on a 737, <laughs> but they're not getting off in two minutes. Uh, and that so. sounds like such a delightful flight, doesn't it? With no no <laughs> lap table, no drink service, no nothing, just you in there like cattle on a car, in a, on a bus, on the way to the slaughterhouse. I mean, that's what it really sounds like. Just jam them in and let's see what happens. Well, it, it does sort of. But the other thing about this, too, is, you know, it's, it's really about competition. And so, you know, in, in Canada, you're starting to see some of this with Flair and, and um, WestJet's new Swoop uh, low-cost carrier they're starting. Uh, you know, they're, they're really trying to compete on price because they're seeing a lot of demand for this. I mean, a lot of Canadians drive across the border now. They go to Bellingham out of Vancouver. They, they go to all these places um, that are, you know, in the U.S. just to save a few bucks. And so, you know, if this is a way that the airlines say, well, we can get our costs down further so we can charge less money, and guess what? More people are going to want to fly, uh, then, you know, that's what they're going to do. Uh, but they're going to have to see if it works first. And I think it's probably also important to mention that this wouldn't be an example of, hey, let's get rid of all the existing seats and just fill it with these. This would be like another class of service, I think, that would just give people that opportunity if they don't want to pay for a higher, a higher level of service, as, as funny as it is to think of coach now as being a higher level of service. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we can create steerage know. in the air. We can have like the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. We can have Jack Dawson's version of, uh, of flying in the, from the Titanic. We do have a place, and some people in this area certainly have gone and used it. There's an airport between here and Buffalo. A lot of people fly out of Buffalo from here, but between here and there, there's Niagara Airport on the other side of the border, and they offer, and I can't remember the name of the the airline now, and it's this. You pay for every single thing. If you want to take a bag, you pay extra. You can get on the plane and fly, and it's very cheap, and that's what this would be, it sounds like, if it were to happen, but where... But where's the where's the line? Is there? Do you believe there is a point where people say, "Look, I, I want to save money," but there comes a point when I still expect to have some level of comfort, and that amount of money that I might save is not worth it. Or is there really a market out there for look? If you can bring it down to ten bucks to fly to Florida, let's do that, and I don't care if I have to be strapped to the bottom of the plane. Yeah, you know, honestly, I mean, I think you get fewer and fewer people the more you degrade the product, but it's the same thing now. There are people that pay for first class. They they value that. It's a small proportion of the total flyers, um, but, you know, there will be a subset of the coach traveler that says, look, I don't care. Get me to Florida. I just heard your weather forecast. This sounds terrible. Get me to Florida <laughs> right now. Yes, yes indeed. And warmth. Um, and you know what? If I can pay ten bucks instead of a hundred and ten bucks, then I can take that extra hundred dollars and I can stay at a place that's nicer uh, when I get there, or I can eat a nicer meal when I get there. Uh, and so, you know, some people say, "Look, I don't care. I I want to just get there." And if you can do it cheaper, great, I'm in. Um, and there's always going to be that subset, no matter how much you degrade the product. You know, you get to an issue when it becomes a safety thing. So I don't think we'll see people strapped onto the bottom of the airplane. <laughs> But, uh, you might pay. You might actually pay extra for that. That'll be a cool ride. That's right. <laughs> it's a thrill ride. Uh, but um, but no, there's always going to be a group of people. Just you know, go look at some college students. <laughs> well, yeah, right there. That'll do it. Uh, have you, by the way, I want to ask, you mentioned the first class. I started with the first class. Have you done one of these first class things? Have you ever been in one of these super luxury first class rides yet? I, I did. I did. A couple years back, we flew on Singapore Airlines in their suites. 
uh, from Tokyo to Los Angeles. And it's it's just silly, is what it is. But, you know, it's nice. I used miles for that, I should point out. That is not something I'm spending money on. It is uh, it is the two extremes for sure the uh, the super bare bones and the super super luxury. I dream of the day that I'll get to do the first class, but I'm thinking I'll be in the cattle car for the rest of my life. Uh, Brett Snyder from Cranky Flyer. You can find his blog online. Just type in the Cranky Flyer. It's a great place to look if you're interested in the travel industry and flying in planes and aviation, any of that stuff. Go there. It is worth a read. A lot of good stuff on there. Brett, really appreciate you coming back and joining us again. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. It is, uh, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note, radley at 900chml.com. Would you save bucks by flying somewhere in a seat where you are basically standing as if you were on a ride at Canada's Wonderland? Would you, Where is the balance for you? Would, do you want l- comfort and you're willing to pay a little more? Or are you willing to strip it right down? If they could put wood benches on a plane and have you just sit there in a group with people and say, I don't care, are you okay with that? Where's, where's the line? Where does the line exist for you? I'd love to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900CHML. It is time here on the Scott Radley Show for something we do every week. It's called Ben's Story of the Day. What is Ben's Story of the Day? I am going to give Ben a choice of three relatively ridiculous, not not relatively, three ridiculous stories from around the world, and he chooses which one is his story of the day. Ben, in case you're wondering who's Ben, he's the guy who makes the music go and answers the phones and keeps us on the air. He's on the other side of the glass for me right now. So, story number one for Ben's story of the day today comes to us from Saginaw, Michigan, a, uh, a, a gym, a fitness center in Saginaw, Michigan, had to be evacuated while the bomb squad and bomb sniffing dogs roared into place because of an explosive, at least so they thought was an explosive, because when someone hooked his phone up to the Wi-Fi service in the gym, Someone in the area had named their Wi-Fi service Remote Detonator. (laughs) And so as he was trying to hook up his phone, he thought he had stumbled upon an explosion that was about to go off. So the whole area was evacuated while they tried to figure out where the bomb was. Nothing like that at all. It was just someone who thought they would call their Wi-Fi service Remote Detonator. That is story number one. I kind of find that story kind of humorous in a non-bomb kind of way. All right, story number two comes to us from Pilash, Argentina. Uh, There was uh, some cops were called in front of a judge because a thousand pounds of marijuana had gone missing from the police storage facility. Thousand pounds of marijuana that I guess had been seized in arrests or whatever else. They locked them up in the police storage facility. The Missing drugs then became a question of concern to whomever, and the judge asked the head of the uh, the police commissioner, what happened to the marijuana? Can you please account for where the pot went? His answer, which was a little bit hard to believe, I guess, is that, well, none of the cops took it, so the only other explanation is, Over the winter, this marijuana, this thousand pounds of pot was eaten by mice. 
who who would have been just think of Mickey Mouse stoned out of his mind. Think of how stoned those mice would have been if mice had eaten a thousand pounds. Coolio and Snoop Dogg and whoever else. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. And Cheech and Chong couldn't have gone through a thousand pounds of marijuana over the course of winter. They had a few mice in Argentina, apparently, were the cause of this. The police commissioner was promptly fired. I guess that answer did not live up to the expectations. And story number three for Ben's story of the day comes to us from Georgia. Now, we have many times on this show referred to the stupidity of criminals. They never let us down. They really never let us down. Well, a guy in Georgia decide to rob a store and to conceal his identity, he wore a bag over his head. So far, good plan, right? Who can tell who he is when he's got a bag over his head? Security cameras aren't going to be able to tell who he is. One flaw in his brilliant plan. It was a clear plastic bag. (laughs) He, He covered his head with a... Now, first of all, it's amazing he didn't asphyxiate himself, but you look on the video camera and he's perfectly visible. It's a clear plastic bag that he wore to conceal his identity. Uh, He has promptly been snatched up when the thing went out on TV in the area and like everybody who's ever met the guy goes, well, yeah, that's Bob. (laughs) That's, that's Bob. What an idiot. So we have the Wi-Fi network that created a bomb scare because it was called Remote Detonator. We have the thousand pounds of pot eating mice in Argentina. Or we have idiot store robber who wore the plastic, the clear plastic bag over his head to get away with his crime. Which one is the story of the day today, Ben? I would love to award all three my story of the day, but I know that the story with the Wi-Fi named Remote Detonator takes the cake. Because I have a friend who has his Wi-Fi named as FBI Surveillance Van 3. <laughs> so I'm going to go well, with the, na- the neighbors are all now really self-conscious and closing their drapes every day. Everyone is extra skeptical about anything. That is Ben's story of the day. You can tell me what would have been your choice, if you wish, Radley at 900CHML.com. I would love to have heard what you would have chosen. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. All day today, from literally from midnight up until this moment and throughout the evening tonight, if I go on to Sportsnet, Sportsnet Ontario, Sportsnet Pacific, Sportsnet West, Sportsnet East, they are all and have been all showing exactly the same thing. Right now, it's a Stanley Cup playoff game between Tampa Bay and New Jersey. If I go to TSN, the Indianapolis Pacers and Cleveland Cavaliers game is on TS1, TSN 1, 3, 4, and 5. So we've got all these channels, and we've got the same thing on most of them. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, okay, so is there anything else? Is it because there's nothing else on? Well, not so much. There is an OHL semifinal. I'm giving away tickets for the OHL semifinal, the Bulldogs game. There's a Bulldogs game that's on tonight in Hamilton. And Rogers Sportsnet owns the rights to that. It is not being shown. On Friday, there are six Canadian Hockey League semifinal games being played around the country. 
the rights owned by Rogers. None are being shown on Sportsnet's schedule, at least as it's announced now. And I spoke to, I, I emailed today Sportsnet to their media relations department, asked if they were planning on showing any of these games. The answer is they're going to show the Memorial Cup. They might add something before then, but there's no plans at this point. So it makes me wonder, what's the point of having all these channels on my TV? Why do these companies have all these channels if they're just going to put the same thing on this, on all these channels simultaneously? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And it drives me nuts. Chris Zelkovich is a longtime sports media writer and a critic in sports media. He joins me now. Chris, thanks for doing this today. Hey, anytime, Scott. Uh, this ca- uh, tell me I'm wrong, but this cannot be what the CRTC had in mind when they gave the licenses for TSN and Sportsnet to expand their universe and have all these extra channels. A just a carbon copy system of xeroxing channel to channel to channel cannot be what they were thinking they were getting. No, I'm I'm just trying to picture uh, the executives of Rogers and Bell standing up before the CRT saying. Uh, yeah, we'd like to propose that we put on five or six channels and show the same thing on every channel in the CRT. Yeah, okay, that sounds like a good. That sounds idea. like a great plan, of course. Yeah, yeah why not? No, I mean, I was there. I was there in God, 1998, when Sportsnet went on the air, and man, the things they promised for their four channels there at the time: uh, university sports, uh, junior hockey. Which they did deliver for a while, um, and sporadically still, and sporadically still, sporadically still, still yeah. Um, and and TSN when they got their five feeds, which they always insisted to me was not five channels but five feeds, um, promised uh, everything from NCAA to uh, to uh, well CIS. Uh, I don't think they had the rights for junior hockey, but a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, and. You know, I, I can appreciate to a degree, for example, producing an OHL game is just as practically just as expensive as producing an NHL game from straight production values and costs. But you know, there are there are TSN, for example, as a, a part ownership uh, through uh, part ESPN has part ownership of TSN. They they have a deal where they get basically access to everything ESPN has. So why would they show the same thing on five channels when they could throw in some of ESPN stuff basically for free? That's a, uh, that's it, exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I don't I don't understand, and I don't understand how this is. I understand how it's cheaper, and I understand how it's easier. I don't understand how this is good for the networks. Quite honestly. I don't understand how this benefits Sportsnet or TSN rather than giving people variety. So if I don't like what's on one, two, three, or four, I might want to stick around and see one of the other things. I don't understand. Yeah. Well, it comes down to ratings. Um, So, for example, if you show it on four channels, you've increased the odds of of somebody finding your show uh, probably by four times, right? you know, does it work? I don't know. I've never, I've never been able to get sort of, you know, channel by channel breakdown. Um, but it's like uh, Saturday Night Hockey. It's shown on two or three channels as well, and it's that's what it is. It's just to to cast the net wider and grab as many eyeballs as they can for their signature properties. Um, you know, does it work? Well, I, I presume they've been doing it for a while now, so I presume it does work. But you know how they keep selling this to the uh, how, how they keep selling this to the cable companies is a bit of a mystery. And then I remembered, oh yeah, 
<laughs> well, the cable companies, they are the cable companies. Yeah, yeah, and and here's the here's the challenge that I have even with the explanation you gave, and I and I your explanation is is a fair one about that you if you cast a wider net, you're going to get more viewers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If let's say one of Sportsnet's channels was on channel 400 and one was on 600 and one was on right. 800. So I'm flipping around and, oh, I don't like that, but I go another 10 or 12 channels down the road and there's another one and eventually I go, oh, okay, I'll watch that. But at least on my TV, all of them are boom, 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 boom. So if I get to the first one and it's something I like, I'm sticking with it. I don't need two, three, and four. And if yeah, I no. don't like it, I'm going boom, 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 and I'm gone and I'm never coming. So I don't... Again, I don't really understand that it is, it's a system that's going to change. It, unless it can change your mind in the flick of the, of the button four times, I don't get how that works. Well, I think what, what happens, for example, you have Sportsnet Ontario and you have Sportsnet West and Sportsnet East. So people, for example, in the West are always watching Sportsnet West or Sportsnet Pacific. That's their channel. So if you put on uh, an Ohio State-Kentucky uh, volleyball game, on their channel, they may not realize that the hockey game or whatever they, whatever else is, you know, is on another Sportsnet channel, and and I think that's the thinking. I I don't really know. But are they um, watching just that? Like, does anyone just get do? Are there people in Ontario who just get Sportsnet Ontario? Because I think uh, everyone gets all of them, don't they? No, I think there are some packages where you can just get well, you, you know, you you get uh, just just one or two. Um, but they're in, minor- in the minority. Certainly in this part of the country, uh, it's it's all yeah. You you get them all, or just about all, just about enough to uh, uh, give you most of the stuff, but um, not so much that you don't have to buy another package to get the other channels. <laughs> you know, it's, this is all about making money. Um, and 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 like I said, they've been doing this for a while now. So my suspicion is is that it it, it works. But you know the. What we were promised and what we're getting are not the same thing. I mean, we were promised, for example, by TSN five channel, five feeds. I'm sorry, not channels. Five feeds that were going to give us on on good nights, uh, five different uh, events, and and that has happened. But boy, you know, it happens about as often as a leap year. You know, it's it, it's it, it doesn't happen very often. Okay, and, and if these with, with if these are regionally relevant stations, each one. Should the stuff that is on that station not be regionally relevant? Because if I'm in Vancouver, you know, and, and many nights there's an NHL game that's across the board or an NBA game across the board, but right. if I'm in Vancouver, do I care about a an East Coast game? I don't know. I might. But what, why would I not on a Vancouver station then have a behind-the-scenes of the Vancouver Canucks and out in the East have something on the, I don't know, the Acadia Axemen football team losing 8-1 right. to nothing or whatever it is. I mean, let, let's have a, a recap of the game against Western again or something. I mean, I don't know. Let's, it, it just seems like it's too easy what they're doing. that it And, and well, we're paying to have just this yeah. over and over and over. Yeah, I, I don't know how, you know how much easier it is, but it's, it's definitely cheaper. Um, I mean, for example, you know, inside the Acadia Axemen, well, that, that costs a few bucks to put something like that together. And a junior hockey game, as I said, that costs money, too. So when it comes down to it, it's, it's all about the bottom line. And, uh, you know, in the end, we're like you say, we're paying for four channels, but we're only getting one channel. 
There are now one of the things, and you pointed this out. One of the things that was promised, and I can't remember if it was TSN or if it was Rogers or if it was both. But there were, I recall, there were a lot of promises made about amateur sports, Olympic type <laughs> sports, and and you said yeah. university and things like that. Now we yeah. get those during the Olympics, and during the right. Olympics, they all get together and they do a fantastic job. Nobody complains yeah. about the Olympics. No, I'd say we we probably get better coverage for the Olympics than just about any country in in the world. I agree. I agree. But let's let's go back to the example of the university thing for a second because that's an amateur level that's a it's but it's something that was talked about. There is now, of course, you, it does cost money to produce a game. We all know that. Yeah. But OUA TV is something that has been started that every school is required by the OUA to broadcast all of their major sports and they do it themselves. They have a group they put together, it's volunteers I guess and they have their play-by-play people or whatever right. else. Why could Sportsnet or TSN not take a feed from that? Let's say Western is playing Mac. It's a big game. Why could they not take that, run a banner across the bottom saying this game is being produced by McMaster University students and put that on one of the channels? It would then cost them basically nothing, and they could then fulfill the mandate or the promise they were making once upon a time. Yeah, I actually asked that question, oh, God, it would have to be uh, six or seven years ago, and the answer was that, it wasn't up to their standards. Uh, production values were not good enough for, for TSN or Sportsnet or whoever I was talking to. And I think at the time I bought that, and I think there was some uh, a good argument to that. However, uh, tune in to the national news, and you see people uh, talking on Skype. Yes. And their heads are jerking around, <laughs> and, the, you know, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like they're calling from the bottom of a well. And now it, that's become normal. So, yeah, I think people could get used to it. And like you say... When you've got five channels or four channels or whatever, and you devote one of them to amateur sports, the people who want to watch that, they'll put up with that, I think. Yeah, you call it Sportsnet A. Sportsnet yeah. Amateur. Honestly, right. and like as stupid yeah. as it may sound, I think there are people who would say, look, if I have a choice between a hockey game between two teams that I couldn't care less about and something else that, you know, I might even give it a look, why not? If, especially if it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, no, I, I think, like I said, I... You know, I think people have become used to, to you know, uh, corners being cut on television. And I think uh, given the choice between watching an amateurish production and not being, being able to watch it at all, I think most people would think the amateurish production. Why do... Now, we know that almost every product, every league, every sport is bought up. The rights are bought up by one of these two in Canada. We know that all those rights are owned. Why right. would you buy the rights and then not really show much of those things. And again, I go back tonight, the Bulldogs are on. There is one game being played in the OHL. It's close to Toronto. It would be easy to get equipment there. It's not like you have to travel around the world. They own the rights to this. Friday night, there's six games. You could pick your game. Why would you not do that? Because you've paid already for these rights. Yeah, um, you know, but you take a look. I'm sure the way they look at it is, and I'm just going to make up a number here. It costs us $75,000 to produce the game. Uh, we're not going to get $75,000 in advertising. Uh, we're not going to get enough viewers to, to you know, up, up the ad, ad rates. So, therefore, why would we do it? You know, you could argue it's a chicken and egg thing, right? You put it on often enough, and, and people, it finds an audience. But um, and eventually it turns into a product that people want to watch and, and a product that may even pay for itself. 
but uh, you know, in this day and age, it just seems like nobody wants to take that chance anymore. Okay, so let's go back to the one thing. We just have a couple of minutes left here, but the one thing you touched on a few minutes ago, and that is that we know there are Fox Sports, ESPN. We know they're around the world. There are sports networks, and the, the Canadian sports networks could, I am assuming, either with, as you say, TSN with ESPN that's a part owner, or you could pay a small fee to pick up. I would think it would be a small fee to pick up a lot of these things. If you're showing some of these sports that otherwise has no interest, look, they'll take a few bucks if you want to show it. Why wouldn't you do that just to offer some variety? Well, again, I come down bottom line, right? <laughs> Everything's bottom line. If it doesn't, If it doesn't make money, we don't want it. Darts? Darts. Yeah, well, I'm sure they get those fairly cheaply. And I remember uh, <laughs> TSN, TSN used to show lawnmower racing a few years ago, and I don't think they paid much for those rights. So <laughs> if you want to watch lawnmower racing, you might, you might be able to make a case for it. You know, lawnmower <laughs> racing would not be the worst thing in the world. Although, as a guy who's lost two toes to a lawnmower, I might be a little uh, a little sweaty when I'm watching this. But might be a bit traumatic. It might be a little traumatic. I might need some therapy afterwards, but nonetheless. Uh, Chris Delkovich, a, uh, a sports media critic and sports media writer for a long time. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for the okay. explanation. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Scott. It is, uh, it, look, it, it, I still don't get it. I mean, Chris's explanation I understand, and Chris explains it very well. If I am one of these stations, one of these networks, and I've got five channels, why would I not want to spread out and give a variety of things so I presumably get a larger audience? Because if on channel one, they have something that's very popular, okay, go to channel one and watch that one. But then if you're not into channel one, like there's a reason when you go to an ice cream place, they don't only have vanilla. Oh, you'll like it. You'll pay for it and you'll like it. They don't have a freezer jammed with 15 barrels of ice cream and every single one of them is vanilla. Because if you don't like vanilla then, you're probably not going to want to stick around. We give you options and that way someone's going to stay here. So if you don't like hockey but there's lawnmower racing on, crazy as that may sound, or UFC or boxing or whatever... I, I just don't get it. it, it to me, I, I just don't understand it, and I don't know why my cable bill comes month after month, and it's always big. My cable bill is never inconsequential. There's a reason people are cutting the cord. Let's be honest. There's a reason people are cutting the cord, and lots of people are doing that. I don't understand why the thought is, well, let's just give them one thing and they'll like it because they don't like it always. And I don't like it. I don't like paying for five channels when I'm getting one thing or four channels when I'm getting the same thing. And tonight, I understand Chris is exactly right. You show a Bulldogs game on national TV, it's going to cost you money to produce it. I get that. But let's go to the other side of it. Let's go to the college or the amateur or whatever else. If you were to clearly identify the station and put it at the bottom saying, this is not being produced by Sportsnet. We're picking this up. This is not our level of production. You don't think that that, it wouldn't cost anything? You don't think that would work? I think it would work. I think it would work. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.